to you about the three Joes. There's three Joes in the Bible. Have, has anybody else, anybody's name in the Bible that you kind of stake a claim on that? Anybody? Mine? Lois. Lois is in the Bible, right? Anybody else? Simon. Simon's in the Bible. That's right. a lot of times, right? He's a leper sometimes, yeah. And he's Simon Peter, yeah, that's good. Anybody else? Mary. Of course, Mary Pouton is in the Bible. We should have known that. That would be obvious. Anybody else? No? I'm in the Bible. Did you know that? Dionysius is a, a, you know, the Greek god of why, oops, good choices and fine uh, beverages. <clears throat> and there's a Dionysus who's, who's uh, uh, converted to Christ in the book of Acts. And that's where Dennis comes from. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the three Joes. There's actually three Joes. The first Joe I want to look at is um, someone who appears in Scripture. And let's just go right there and look at who he is. So Joseph of Arimathea. And anybody know what Arimathea is? Anybody here called like that? I mean, you might hear Jeff Wilkie of Wilco Construction, you might get something like that, or of Grain Valley, but most of us don't get attached to a region or something. And typically that would happen if you, there were multiple people with the same name. So it'd be, you know, may, maybe Deborah from Blue Springs instead of Deborah from, you know, Grain Valley. But uh, Joseph of Arimathea, that was, that was a region. It was actually the same region that uh, Samuel was from. Remember where Samuel went back to Ramah? That's Ramah, Arimathea. It doesn't sound like it's the same thing, but that's what that meant. So that's where he was from. And he appears in Scripture in an interesting place. What has happened before we look at this passage of Scripture is Jesus has lived his whole life. He has preached. He has been on, uh, on trial. He has died on the cross. And his disciples have scattered. And there's, his body is, is there and so this is where we're jumping into this Joe gets introduced to us in Scripture. <laughs> Sorry, that's me. Uh, coffee, Joe, I just couldn't, I couldn't help because I knew we had these big screens, so I wanted to show you what, this is what I dream of every day. Is that, anyway. So Joseph of Arimathea instead. So let's just jump into John chapter 19. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate, for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. That's in John chapter 3. He he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth, The place of the crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus' body there. Here's the thing about this, Joe. He followed secretly. That bothers me a little bit. Does it bother anybody else? It bothers me because when he shows up, it's after everything. And I wonder, why was he following secretly? What did he have to lose that he wasn't willing to sacrifice before now? And what changed that made him ready to sacrifice now? I mean, he followed Jesus, but in a way that didn't cost him anything. Do you think about that? I mean, what kind of follower is that? That's like a fan who who all of a sudden announces they're a fan once, you know, the team is winning, isn't it? 
And before that, when everybody's talking bad about him, they're a fan, but they're like, yeah, nobody knows. I'm, yeah, I'm a fan too, but all secret. I think it's common for people who have a lot to lose or maybe something to lose that they value so much or much more than what it would cost them to follow Jesus publicly. So I'm curious, what, what brought this Joseph out of the shadows? Was it Jesus' death probably? I mean, he watched a good man die? Was it that the, he finally felt safe to question? Or maybe he had been asking questions up to this point, and maybe there were a bunch of... Uh, church tradition says he was actually a Pharisee, like Nicodemus, and that's how they knew each other, and that's why they came together to bury the body. That's what church tradition tells us. And if that was true, we know later from the book of Acts that other Pharisees did follow Christ and the way and Christianity, converted to Christianity later. And we know of some discussions that happened where Christ was defended. So it makes you wonder, was it, was it maybe one of those things where he was kind of a secret disciple, but he wasn't sure if he could be outward with it, and he would talk to some of the other Pharisees, and they'd say, so what do you think about this Jesus? And if the person gave kind of a positive response, and he'd say, yeah, me too, kind of maybe. I wonder. What was it that tripped this guy into finally doing something? Was it taking the risk now that he'd seen Christ killed, he figured, I don't have anything else to lose? You know, here's the thing that bothers me about this too. As a Pharisee, it's hard for us to really relate to what the Pharisees were because we don't really have an equivalent today. Probably the closest equivalent to our world today might be a a college Bible professor. Because the Pharisees, they, they were all Jews, all Jewish men, boys, were required to memorize a certain amount of the Torah. But the Pharisees prided themselves on memorizing all of it. Can you even wrap your mind around that? Do you know how many verses we're talking about? I mean, Genesis, Exodus... Leviticus, then you get into Numbers and Deuteronomy. Those are not very exciting stories. We're talking about they would quiz each other and compete on how much they had memorized. So here's my point. They knew the truth about Jesus, but they weren't willing in most cases to allow themselves to believe. Have you ever been like that? Has there ever been something where you knew it all along and then when you were confronted with it, you said, yeah, I knew that. I knew that was wrong or I knew this was right or I knew I should do this, but you didn't act on it. Every one of these Pharisees knew all the Old Testament scriptures that prophesied about Christ. They knew it. That's why when when, uh, the wise men came and Herod went to get some information, he went right to one of these guys and they knew, oh yeah, he'll be born in Bethlehem. Did it mean anything to him? No. Did it change him? No. Did that revelation of the Christ child being born in the bread? I mean, Bethlehem means house of bread. And then Jesus later talks about himself being about the bread of life. Do you think any of them ever thought, oh, wait a minute. What is he really saying? What's going on here? There's something supernatural happening. Or was it just all head knowledge? You know, maybe men more than women, we have this thing about knowledge and facts and being right. And sadly, that can be a really, really, really detrimental thing. And it can keep you from seeing the truth, even though it's sitting on the page right in front of you. We see what we want to see, don't we? 
We look at the same information, but we just don't let it change us or affect our lives. We go to certain things with our own prejudices and we read into it what we want to see. They knew all the stories. They knew all the prophecies that Jesus was fulfilling one after the other. Did anybody watch that whole Bible series that Roma Downing and them put together? <clears throat> I always struggle with those because I look at it and I think, man, you're adding so much in here. You're, you're almost diluting the real point of the story. But there were a couple times where I was watching and I, I thought, well, that's an interesting twist. And what they did a couple times was they had the chief priest upset, like for instance, when uh, Nicodemus and, and um, Joseph of Arimathea went to get the bodies. Anybody remember this part where he said, oh no, don't give them the body because they'll say that fulfills one of the scriptures. And then he quotes the scripture. Does anybody remember that? Because what's funny is that may have happened. It may have happened where one of these people who knew all the details of the story, when Joseph of Arimathea put Jesus' body in the borrowed tomb, he may have thought of that prophecy or not because he wasn't going to let that break down his prejudices because they knew the scriptures, but it didn't change them. But more importantly, the question for us tonight, one of the questions I want to ask is, what's it going to take to bring us out of the shadows? Because we kind of do the undercover Christian thing a lot too. And I'm not saying you have to wear a Christian t-shirt every day. I'm not really a fan of those per se. I'm more of a fan of letting your life show and, and be the preaching. But the fact is, there's times where, you know, we don't put it right out there either. To be fair to Joseph of Arimathea, church history, and, and this is disputed to some degree, but as far as we know, he was a, they, they say he was a Pharisee, and then he became a very public, devout disciple of Christ. And they say he was counted among that early group of 70 disciples, and that after Christ rose from the dead and after all of that, he was sent specifically to Rome to preach. And they say he did that after shipwreck and all. And then when he came back, then they sent him to England. And if you were to go to Glastonbury, England today, there is a monastery there that bears his name. And they say he is buried there. I don't know if that's true or not. Could be. I don't know. But let's look at another Joe while we're talking about Joe's. This Joe we've talked about a lot over the last, uh, probably this last summer, we talked about him a lot. And you know this Joe probably better than the other Joes because he's got more written about him. This Joe actually has more scripture written about him than any other Old Testament character in the Bible. And I know that sounds crazy to even make that statement. But if you count up the total amount of verses, this Joe has the most. The part that I want to just zero in on, this is Joseph. And before we read that scripture, you know the story. He was especially loved by his father, Jacob, because he was the son of Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel, born to him in his old age. He was hated by his brothers because probably his dad's favoritism and then also his tactless oversharing. Do you know anybody like that? <laughs> Every good thing that happens, they just tell you all about it, even though they know you wanted that same good thing. And they just, they're not rubbing it in, probably. They just don't have any tact. They don't even notice that you're dying on the inside. But for whatever reason, his brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. So this is where we pick up the story. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. 
giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Then this happens. Oh, I I cut out the part. Potiphar's wife finds him attractive and comes after him, tells him to sleep with her. He says, no one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. The thing I want to point out about this, Joe, is all through his life, and we could go again through every part of his life, it specifically says that God blesses him, then people notice the blessing, and then they put him in in positions of authority, and he succeeds and flourishes. What we never see here in Joseph is him taking advantage of that, ever. So often people are blessed by God, and then they take advantage of it, or they spend that blessing on themselves, and he never, ever, ever does that. Instead, what he does is he constantly acts with integrity, even to the point of saying when he's confronted by this this woman, he says, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Let's go to our last Joe, another Joe. This Joe, actually, um, maybe you have been like this, and I, I thought of Nicole only because there's times where she's Dennis's wife and not Nicole. Does anybody else have that experience? Maybe it's your kids. Your kids are so well-known wherever they're at that you become their mother or their father, and it's like you don't have a name. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's almost as your identity is defined by this other person. And this Joe, really, most people just think of him as Mary's husband, he, he has so little identity. If you think about him and the unsung hero of the Christmas story, all the Christmas carols, they focus on Mary or the shepherds or, or even wise men or, you know, we got, a, we got a song about a drummer boy. You've got songs about reindeer. Not one song is devoted to Joseph. Not one. He doesn't get any press. He's really an obscure figure in the story. He only pops up here and there. And we were talking just a little bit. Some of us were talking about Christmas plays. How many were in a Christmas play growing up, school or church? Anybody? Anybody ever play Joseph? Did you really, Cody? Did you talk in the play? <laughs> you know why you didn't talk in the play? Joseph has no lines. We don't have one recorded word that Joseph spoke. It's not even in there. In fact, you know, a lot of times you see Joseph in a Christmas play, it's just kind of, he's just standing there by Mary, the baby. And that's great, I get that. But you have to look at Joseph, this guy who was in there. We wouldn't have Christmas without him. It wouldn't have happened this way. So it gets me to thinking, what kind of a man would God have chosen? Think about this. If you're God and you're going to send your son to be born on earth in the frail form of a newborn baby, can't take care of himself, can't feed himself, can't clean himself, can't do anything for himself, what kind of a man are you going to entrust with your son? You're going to choose very carefully, aren't you? 
It's not going to be someone complacent or someone who's careless. You're going to choose somebody who really cares. So we, we pop into the story where Mary's husband is talked about. This is the birth of Jesus, the, uh, how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, a Middle Eastern pledge like this, they considered the same as marriage. They didn't come together, as it says there euphemistically, but, but they were pledged. It was as if they were married, even though they weren't quite married. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. I like he does. He lays that down. Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I love that. And then it goes on to say, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home to be his wife. (laughs) You realize this was a major disgrace, don't you? I think a lot of times we make the mistake because we know the whole story. And I know I tell you this a lot, but I think it's important for us to be able to place ourselves in the time and place of the story and try as much as possible not to add in all the background information we know. I mean, we know how the story ends. So a lot of times that that takes a little bit off of the drama that's right here. This is big drama. She should have been stoned to death. That was the penalty. And not just stoned to death, but stoned to death publicly. Now, to, to get a picture of this, you know, you've probably heard of honor killings that the, the Muslims practice. Even here in the United States, you hear about these things. Where, and I heard about a story recently. There was a, um, a guy who was an adjunct professor at one of our major universities. And he uh, came home, or no, he picked his niece up at school and she was not wearing the head covering. And so he publicly beat her. Now he's being prosecuted for that. But think about that and compare that to this. That's what would have happened to her. She would have been publicly killed, stoned to death, and, and, and it would have been the law. That's what it was. That's how it should have been. It's crazy, though, because Joseph, as a righteous man before any visitation of the Lord, before, any of, before the angel, he'd already decided to treat her differently. I love that about him. I love that about him. Most of us, our reaction would have not been that. Most of us would have had to have had that visitation from God to to react this way. But that's not what Joseph does. What Joseph does is he chooses mercy over judgment. Before even the angel appeared to him, he chose mercy over judgment. He's the one who's wronged, but he doesn't show any vengeance toward Mary. Instead, he offers her protection and decides to protect her honor and divorce her privately to protect her. I love that about him. You know what it reminds me of a little bit? 
when I think about Joseph choosing the mercy over judgment, I think, how do we apply that in our life? And especially Christmas. Christmas is one of those, one of those events that happens and, and it affects everybody. Everybody. The stores automatically tell you it's Christmas time. You can't go anywhere. You can't avoid it. Your neighbor's lights are on. I mean, there's all of this. But Christmas isn't really all that happy for everyone. I love, I grew up with Norman Rockwell Prince. My mom, anybody remember decoupage? Yep. My mom uh, decoupaged all these Norman Rockwell prints on, on like wood plaques. And those were on our wall growing up my whole childhood. That, that vision of what Christmas should be. But the sad thing is that Christmas isn't really Norman Rockwell for everybody. For some people, it's more about hurts and pains shared around a table where you can't really express them. It's more about a reminder of wrongs suffered or forced to spend time with family, and it's not a happy thing. It's sometimes, instead of a celebration time, it's as if those memories get invaded by, by painful memories of neglect or betrayal or abuse. Or It's tough because some people want to be judged during that time and they don't want to choose mercy. And it's legitimate because things have happened. For some people, they get really frustrated by all the lines and all the fake happiness and all the decorations and all the materialism and the money spent because for them, it's not that. It's not a reminder of happy times. It's a, it's a painful memory. For some people, it's more about a memory of divided homes and shuttling kids back and forth and being separated because of divorce or maybe quiet, awkward moments or maybe having a family member that's not invited or presence not appreciated or the excitement's just gone or maybe there's pressure to perform or to invite certain people or to host or cook or decorate. What would it be like if, even if you legitimately feel like that, that your choice would be like Joseph and your choice would be to extend mercy rather than judgment. I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that it has to be Norman Rockwell because some of you, that's not your reality. But here's the thing. It wasn't Joseph's either. He didn't ask for this. He didn't ask for this public humiliation. He didn't. And he could have legitimately responded with vengeance, and instead he responded with mercy. And if we are to put ourselves in his shoes, I think the closest equivalent would be that, that you could actually maybe heal a wound by extending mercy rather than judgment during the season. This blows me away. He did all of this for a dream. Have any of you had a dream? I mean, a dream that you thought was so real that you, you wanted to act on it. I know there's been times where, um, you know, I've had a dream and you wake up and you think, well, where am I? Oh, okay, I'm home. Anybody ever had that experience? Or maybe you've had a dream that somebody did something to you and then you woke up mad at them. <laughs> Anybody ever had that? Can we be honest for a minute? Okay. I've never had that, but I've, I've been the other person in the dream. But um, he, do you realize what he did? He put his entire reputation on the line for it. He didn't actually see the angel. That was a dream of an angel. How does that work? You know how it works? 
The reason it works is because this is a person, this, this Joe, he was somebody who was in tune enough with God that that was something that he believed and sensed and knew was real. I, w- I want you to understand something. He knew God's voice clear enough that that was something that he realized was the real thing. He didn't think it was pizza or matzo balls or whatever they ate. He knew because he knew the voice of the Lord that that was something to be believed and obeyed. He knew that. I want to be that. I want to be so close to him that when I hear his voice, it's clear like that. And I'm willing to put everything on the line and risk it because I know that this is what the Lord has said to do for me. We have to be impressed with this instantaneous obedience. Instantaneous obedience. Wouldn't you have thought about it just for a minute? Maybe wait it out? Wouldn't you? I mean, here's what's funny about it. You know, in, you know, in a dream where you can do just ridiculous things, you know, it's like you're floating one minute and then you're walking on water, whatever, whatever. I wonder, did Joseph in the dream at least say to the angel, for real? I mean, this is kind of weird. This has never happened before. I mean, for us, you know, we hear the story all the time and you know that, you know, she was a virgin and she got pregnant and on and on and on. And, but he, this was new information. Wouldn't he have said, what? The Bible says he got up and obeyed. Instantaneous obedience. We can learn from that. Because there's times where we know what God wants us to do, but we still hem and haw and procrastinate and delay. And we've got excuses. And well, he said this and she did this. And if they were to change a little bit more, then I'd be more willing. And we bargain with God. He did not do that. He obeyed. He was risking a lot. It cost him a lot. Imagine the gossip in Nazareth that week. Nazareth that week. Have you ever thought about that? I'm sure people are saying, did you hear about Joe? Poor guy. I wonder who that father really is. I'm sure somebody said, <laughs> looks like Joe actually did get with her. Right? Who didn't think that? Somebody thought that. I guarantee you somebody thought that. And Joseph knew that's what they would think because they're normal people. They're human beings and we're all alike that way. The word went out. People knew. He knew what he was risking, but he didn't hesitate. And he still did it. Or worse, I bet you somebody said, I think Joe went nuts. Because Mary's pulled a really big fast one on him. You will never believe it. She says she got pregnant by God. Oh my gosh, that's a good one. Never heard that one before. (laughs) You know what people probably thought about Joseph? They probably thought he was weak. That he wasn't man enough to stand up for himself. You know what they thought? That maybe he was a cheater. Or he was insane. Or she was. That's what they thought. And he knew that's what would be thought. But it didn't stop. He still preserved her honor. And he still obeyed instantaneously. And you know why? Because God's voice was louder than the world's opinion to him. And there's a lot of times where we're in that situation. We know what God's voice is. But the world's opinion is crying louder in our ears. Or we're more concerned about the world, what the world would think than what God would think. And it changes our behavior. And instead, it should be the exact opposite. I think about how many times my behavior was swayed because of what I thought people would think. I heard the voice of the Lord saying something, and it changed my behavior. And it could be a lot of things. 
doesn't have to be super spiritual and crazy. It could be just your lifestyle or things you're supposed to put away or people you should talk to or not talk to. Or, I mean, it's very simple. I wrote this out. I want to get it right how I wrote it. But what if this Christmas we could take a break from the noise of our culture and tune our ear instead to the call of God and let that outweigh everything else? What if we could do that? And whatever God put on our hearts that we would obey instantaneously, regardless of what everybody thought. There's only a few more references to Joseph, this Joe in the whole Bible. Just a couple more. Three more times he's referenced as the faithful father and guardian of Jesus. Three more times. I've often put myself in the position just in my mind of people in scripture and thought, what would it have been like to be, you know, whoever, maybe Peter and jump out of the boat and walk on water or whatever. You know what I've never thought of? What would it have been like to be Jesus' dad? To know from the beginning that he was God. And he knew that. And how would you parent that child? That God would trust you to be the guardian of his only son. That you were going to guide him through life and protect him. Jesus, I said that he'd been referred to three more times. The three more times where he had three more dreams guiding him and protecting the baby Christ child. One of them was to protect him and take him to Egypt. And then another time to bring him back. And then... We, it's amazing. He heard from God and he knew. I'm blown away by that concept though. He was trusted with this. The final time that we encounter our unsung hero is when they lost Jesus when he was 12 years old. As a dad myself, I think it hits me hard, but I never thought about this till looking into this today and in the last week or two and thinking about this. Do you remember what Jesus said when his parents, when his parents said to him, what were you thinking? Remember, remember the story, Jesus 12, they take him to the, to the temple, then they, they leave in the caravan and all that, and he stays behind and he's debating with the religious scholars or whatever. They, they get away three days and they realize, hey, where's Jesus? And they're looking around, hey, no one knows where Jesus is. And so they're going to look for him. Can you imagine the, the frantic panic of a parent? And then they find him in the temple and they're like, what were you doing? Remember what he said? Who, who, just say it out loud. Didn't you know I'd be about whose business? What father? Yeah. But the father who had been guarding him, protecting him all these years, hears him say that, my father. Now, some of you have the experience of maybe adopting a child or being in a, a, a blended family where there's other birth fathers or whatever involved. And maybe you've had that experience here and there where there's been like what the father thing has been an issue. I had lunch with a guy today and, and um, his mom married his stepdad when he was 10. And I just, I'm just curious, well, do you call him dad? And he's like, yeah, we kind of just started doing that. And I've always called him dad. And I know that some of you have that experience personally, but think about it, what it happened with Joseph. I wonder where his heart was at that moment. We have no idea. There is no inkling in scripture. Um, It's not even mentioned. But I wonder 
what he thought at that time. I think it would have been natural for him to be a little offended or um, wondering if this child he'd raised and loved and cared for and sacrificed his honor for and on and on. I wonder if, if he thought that. It may be a, I don't know. But I don't think that's what happened. I think God chose this Joe so carefully that what really happened at that point was he probably his heart just swelled with pride because he knew his mission was accomplished. He had this boy of 12. I mean, oh, that didn't sound like a man yet or anything, but it, it, the Jewish mind, that's a manhood or whatever, and they thought he'd arrived. Kind of like the pride you feel when, when your child does something that you've always hoped they would do or they accomplish something bigger than you. Or I remember playing basketball with my son, and, and uh, I remember the first time he shot, took a shot over me and drilled it, and I felt such pride. Not, not like he beat me. I mean, I want him to beat me. I want him to be better than me in every single way. And I'll bet you that's what Joseph thought at that moment. But he thought, yes, he's there. He's getting there. I wonder, too, when uh, John the Baptist said for Jesus, he wanted Jesus to increase and him to decrease. I'm sure Joseph had that same heart at every point. We never hear from Joseph again. That's it. We assume, scholars all assume, that he had already died by the time Christ's public ministry happens because Jesus is referred to not only as a carpenter's son, but also as a carpenter. So he probably inherited or took over his father's business as the firstborn. We don't know. Plus, Jesus, or John from the, Jesus from the cross tells John the disciple, you know, hey, behold, here is your mother and woman. Behold, here is your son. We assume that was the case. And I read this a few years ago, and it just overwhelms me. When I, um, one of the jobs I had in high school was working for a carpenter once, and I remember one of the guys at church was a carpenter. He said, he, he said to me once, he said, isn't it cool? We're, we're, we're in the same business Jesus was in. Joseph was in. And I, you know, I didn't follow that. I ended up working for an electrician and doing other things you know, here and there. But I've always thought about that. And then I remember one day someone talking about Kind of the idea that here Jesus was a carpenter and he was hung on a cross and put to death with carpenter's tools. Did you ever think about that? And then what I read a couple years ago that, that I think about now, every time Joseph comes to mind, I think, I wonder if God in his mercy allowed Joseph, Jesus' dad, to not be there for that. Can you imagine the pain to see your child killed that way? I want to be like that, Joseph. I want, to be, I want to be like that, Joseph, this Christmas where I show mercy instead of judgment. Dave, could you put some music on? Where I see, I listen so closely to the voice of God that when he speaks, I act immediately because I know what he's telling me to do. I want to... I want to dream God's dreams and not the counterfeit dreams of the culture. And I don't, I don't want the culture's voice in my head to be louder than his. I, I never, it's, it never bothers me seeing all the celebrations for Christmas because I love it. I love all of that. But I want to make sure that he's the center at, of my Christmas at every moment. 
and that he's more important than anything else that's happening in my world. So let me, let me just do this for a minute. Let's just, I want you to shut your eyes for a second, and I want you to just, let me just ask a question. I, I know when I mentioned earlier that I know not everybody has a Rockwell Christmas every time. And maybe you have some memories of Christmas that are difficult, or maybe people are surrounded by that, or whatever. I just want to encourage you tonight to be able to give that to God and let him give you the grace to extend mercy instead of judgment. Maybe you, like me, were kind of, I want to hear from God and I want to do what he wants me to do and I want to have clarity there. And I know you want that too and I want you to cry out to him in a few minutes about that and just tell him that desire of your heart. I want to hear his voice louder than culture. I know you do too. So let, let me pray over us and then I just want to invite you to spend some time with him in prayer. Let him speak to you and if there's some healing that needs to happen, let him do that in your heart. Father, I thank you so much that you sent your son